run when we read about a figure that was um, 2,000 years ago in the name of Paul that we think that that was a great, iconic, legendary reality to write from a prison cell and to say Jesus is enough and to um, forget or perhaps set aside the reality that that's still true. I listened in our convention as a guy named Shane Hall lived out Psalm 73, 25 and 26 when this truth was just expressed. What do I have in heaven but you, Lord? I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and he is my portion forever. Jesus is enough. There was a pastor named Shane Hall who actually um, closed the uh, series of messages at the pastor's conference in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And he's exposited from the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, for about 22 minutes. And then he began to share his personal story. And his personal story is a powerful story of the reality that Jesus is enough. He said this in his personal story. He said, what I want you to understand about my life is that every single plan that I had as a father, as a pastor, as one who was going to walk this earth, it is fundamentally wrecked right now. Shane was standing in that room and he was speaking as a man whose body was riddled with cancer in his late 30s. His kids are coming up on the stage and they're gathering around the wife and children and more than likely, in fact, most likely, Shane will not be a part of another gathering of our denomination. And he stood before our group and he just said to us, I want you to understand Philippians is not a historical book of uncommon joy. Philippians is a present day reality that regardless of your circumstance, I want you to understand that while what I perceive as a train wreck of circumstances of everything that I had planned, I have discovered in the middle of this, in my eyes, train wreck that Jesus is truly enough. That he will walk through this with me. He is the one that holds my family together. He is the one that knows who I am. He knows the plans that I had for myself. But more beautifully, poignantly, and powerfully, Jesus has plans for me. They are for a purpose and a future. And I know we like to quote that as if it's a magic potion for this earth. But my future, our future, your future is an eternal future. And Jesus, maybe a little more blatantly said, is more than enough to carry this. His grace is what sustains us. His scripture speaks through us. His hope is deeply webbed within us. And we are a people who are receiving the capacity, like Shane, to stand in the middle of circumstances, like Paul with uncommon joy to sit and say, regardless of my chains, I rejoice. And in fact, as Shane would have said, and Paul would have said, the gospel will prosper out of a, as a result of God's perfect plan for me, even though, even though evidently his perfect plan for Shane in that moment, as he said, was to be riddled and filled with cancer. Jesus is enough. So I don't preach this as a happy-go-lucky, let's just wrap our hearts around this and we're all going to be happy. Although I listen to a lot of that music on the beach. 
I believe this to be true. One of the things that, as I was, um, I have just spent the last two weeks meditating through as much of Philippians as I could, and, and I got through about halfway through the second chapter. And Here's what I ask Jesus to do every time I meditate through a book. Just stop me with what you want me to think about for this day. And I, I just was stunned one day by this reality that he says, we are partners in grace. You and I, folks, Shane and I, Paul and I, you, we're together, partners in grace, and that grace is sufficient for us. And as Paul wrote in another place, God will give us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And the Greek verbiage that he used is limitless grace for where we walk and how we stand. And so we come just to say, God, I long to live for the sake of your glory. As a people... We enter in and engage into an experience that is not possible unless we walk with Jesus. Unless we realize that Jesus truly is enough. We are a people who are confident in, this is Philippians 1, by the way, the presence and the power of Jesus. Wouldn't that be a great description of the church? Wouldn't it be a great description of us? That group of people are utterly and completely confident in the presence and the power of Jesus. Said a different way, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We're a people who stand in and say, Jesus, you are enough. My plans may be wrecked. And I may be six pots stacked in a corner if you were in groups this morning. But Jesus, your plans are to fill me to the brim and to make me of the finest wine. You're enough. And I asked this question two weeks ago, and as we move into this prayer, it's a question that allows us to walk in this pivotal truth and reality of the sufficiency of Christ. When did you, when did I first discover that my strength is insufficient? If you have not landed there, we will not ask or answer this question, Jesus, are you enough for us? When did we first realize, God, I don't have the strength to sit in a prison cell, or I don't have this extraordinary strength of a man who literally could not stand at this podium, and it was just very similar to this one. He doesn't have the strength to stand for 30 minutes and speak, much less exposit scripture, much less say, Jesus is sufficient for my body. I, God, I don't have that strength. I, I, I want to reach the point daily of saying, I, I don't have what it takes, but I know who does. I know where my strength comes from. It comes from the Lord. When your first steps fail, rejoice. There's uncommon joy that holds us together. There's a strength beyond yourself that is to be gained. It is in the all-sufficient power of God in Christ Jesus. And he's enough for us. In our attempts to live for Christ, we are not invited to a strength of will. I would never, as your pastor, invite you to to define yourself through your willpower, through your ability, or for what you bring. We are invited to a place of insufficiency and in a place of utter sufficiency in Christ. To come and say, God, we are after the presence and the power of God. 
This church, this church in Philippi, was launched beyond the capacity of man's ability. It was launched with uncommon joy and impossible odds, but Jesus. And could that be true of us? That we would be described as a church that is launched with impossible odds, yet uncommon joy and utter and complete sufficiency in Jesus. So would we universally in this room acknowledge before God our insufficiency so that we can walk in His? Could that be just where we begin? I want to be a part of something that is beyond our ability. I illustrated the beginning of the message a capacity as we sat in the first meetings and began to plan and talk. And I sat with some great church leaders and we were talking about this initiative to eradicate what in our minds seemed impossible four years later was fully possible. And it was just the sufficiency of Jesus and the dreams of men aligning our hearts with his. And so here's where we land. We pray. You want to live a, a gospel that's replicated? Pray. You want to live in the heart of a people who are courageous and confident in Jesus? Pray. I love that Jesus modeled this for us. I love that Paul, I I love that Paul wrote in his letters and throughout his letters he doesn't pause and have a quiet prayer within himself. He writes his prayers into his letters because I think much like the disciples ask of Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. So Paul was teaching his people as well. I'm going to write some things to you. I'm going to speak some things to you. But there's really only one source that are going to ground them deeply within you. And it is the source and the power of prayer. And so verse 9, he says, I pray this. Now your love will keep on growing. Chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, verses 9 through 11. If you missed that a few minutes ago, I am praying this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge in every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And here's why. So that he gains glory and he receives praise. It's for the glory of God our Father and in Christ Jesus. So I am praying this, and I I wrote this simple definition. Oh, Mitch was teaching our class this morning and going nuts on prayer. And I just wrote, Mitch, this is my simplistic thought of the day, and I'm sure it came from someone else. I don't know who, but it says, this is prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. I love this. This I mean, Paul's just looking at them and saying, as a church, I want you to launch with confidence. As a church, I want you to believe that Jesus is moving. As a church, I want you to move in knowledge and discernment. And as a church, I want you to have conversations together with God about what you are doing. I want you and God to just sit around and talk together and enjoy fellowship with the Spirit. I'm not asking for prayer to be a moment when the, you know, the lead pastor or the music dude stands up and says, let's pray together now. I want you as a church to talk with God about what you're doing together. Because otherwise, we're going to run some risk of kind of coming up with some good ideas and running forward. And I would rather join God at work than us create some work for Him. I want to be filled with the knowledge of who He is. Our heart is is knit together by a heart for God. He knits us with uncommon joy. And He knits us with that because He is an utterly joyous God. I want to jump into our Bible study lesson right now. He is the Father of the feast. He launches his ministry in the middle of joy. 
He says, look, I love this. Richard Foster is an absolute favorite author of mine. If you haven't read any of his books, dive in. He shared a story that I greatly identify with when I think of the idea of prayer and of being able to say to this church, let's come together with God and talk with him. He says, you know, when I put my kids to bed and I begin to settle them down and I begin to talk with them and they're cranky and they're out of sorts and they're overly tired, which if you'll go to the beach and watch parents about 8 o'clock p.m., that's pretty much the story. Two weeks of that. I learned, I learned early on, and Richard wrote this, I thought, this is my life story. Apparently this is like the story of fatherhood. I kind of learned early on when nothing else would work, I would pick my kids up, and Susan's got all these great songs that she's had memorized for decades, and you know, I'm, I'm just picking them up and I start singing things to them, you know, whatever comes to mind. I just kind of sing these songs to them. Some of them are funny, some of them are completely irreverent, some of them are awesome, some of them just go like this, I love you. I love the way you sing. I love the way you dance. I love the way you were swinging on the swings today. I love your face. I love your toes. I love you. I love everything about you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I feel like I'm Elf right now if you've seen that movie. And so, um, and so I would finish that song and inevitably these words would come. Sing it again, Daddy. I'm like, you have no idea. For the last 10 minutes, I've been freelancing like crazy. So here we go again, darling. Sing it again, Dad. And I would just relaunch into that prayer. And I think that that's what God is saying. I think that we want to be a children who are together and who are looking at our Heavenly Father. And, you know, this wouldn't be you, but at times we're kind of cranky and we're lost in this world and we're looking our way. And our Heavenly Father just says, would we sit together with me as your Father and let me sing some songs that will ultimately settle into your heart? That's why the disciples said, Jesus, you're so calm in the storm. You're so calm when people come and take you. You're so calm when they beat you almost to death. You're so calm hanging from the cross. And he said, it's because I'm in such intimacy with God. And they asked him one thing. They asked him to teach him one thing, as I can see. I'm sure that they longed for many other. But they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Paul got that. Paul is teaching us in Philippians 1, 9 through 11 that there are theological truths that you must know. But if you're going to flesh out a gospel-centered faith that was preached to us, if you're going to flesh out the differentiation between a curious man coming at night and a man standing boldly beside a grave, it will be a group of people who not only are theologically sound, but are intimately walking with the Father. And we're in the midst of this going, Oh Lord, give us knowledge, depth of insight, discernment, uncommon discernment. God, we want to prove the things that you're about. We want to walk with you. Teach us to pray. John, just in case you downplay this message, I just... I glance into the book of Revelation, the 8th chapter. John describes a scene in heaven. Human sin 
invited judgment. That was what was going on in heaven. Then a more remarkable thing happens. John says in this scripture that heaven fell silent for half an hour. I love that statement. I've reread that. You kind of, if you read prior to it and then read what's going on, I love that heaven fell silent. During this time, an angel came to an altar and the angel was lighting incense and the incense were the prayers that were arising from the people because God loves the intimacy of that walk. In Revelation, the 8th chapter, the 4th verse says this, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angel's hands and what followed this was great strengths from God, actions taken in heaven and all of heaven then came to a standstill as a result of people who sat down together and began to talk with God about what they long for. Do not underestimate the power of prayer. And maybe I could say it this way. May we as a church so relentlessly assault heaven that we silence heaven for a season. There should have been huge amens in our hearts about that. May we be a people who are praying and ceaselessly saying to God, we long for you to come to a standstill before us. Why? Because there's a group praying. The prayers of the saints are rising before God. The content of this prayer is powerful. The fact that they prayed is just moving my spirit and drawing me to compel you as a church to let us be known as a house of prayer. A people who are pursuant of the heart of God. Walter Wink had a great statement in his um, reading of the 8th chapter of the book of John. And I would love for you to write this down. It's coming on the screen. History belongs to the intercessors. Those who believe and pray the future into being. Now you can theologically tease that to death all you want. I just would say, I, I long to be a part of a people who will intercede before God so much so that our lives and our hearts are webbed as one with Him. History belongs to the intercessors, not to the wealthy, not to the powerful, not to the rulers and not to the armies. History belongs to the body of believers who seat themselves before the Heavenly Father and talk to them about what, that, about what they are doing together. God, call us to prayer. Here's three things, just quickly, that Paul prayed in this prayer. He prayed that their love would abound in knowledge and depth of insight. Discernment. He prayed that they would be free of hypocrisy. Completely free of hypocrisy. I believe when you are stripped down before God, hypocrisy is gone. We're no longer standing up. We don't have hallway conversations. We have no agenda. And in fact, you can stand united in the body of believers going, when I walk into this place, the only agenda is the glory of the cross of Christ. There's freedom in that. And so he's looking and saying, look, I I want you to have knowledge, discernment, hypocrisy, completely gone. And he finally prays for them this third prayer. A natural outflow is this, that you will be filled with, with the fruit of righteousness. And as a result, you will prove everything that's superior. That's so cool. I just, every time I've read that for two weeks now, my heart just floods. God, 
I want to approve superior in heaven. I'm looking for that grade. He writes, just says, I want you to be knowledgeable and insightful and an indispensable practice that we must carry as the body of believers is to be immersed in the word of God. There should just be, your pastor should be saying to you, what portions are you memorizing this week of this passage? I mean, as a body of believers, it should just be universal this week. They're immediately thinking, I want to memorize this prayer. I want to be immersed in this. I want, as I think, to begin to think, oh God, give me first and priority the knowledge of you. My discernment apart from you will be horrible. But God, God, I want to be about things that are superior. I want to be pure and blameless before you. I am praying for a body of believers whose central focus is knowledge and depth of discernment. And the heartbeat of the church is the word of God. Not the great thoughts of the pastor. Not the great thoughts of a small group leader. Not your best elements. But this truth. Oh God, grow deepen us in your word. Grow us in your scripture. Form us into the image of Jesus. God's word is more than a great guidebook. I believe Rick Warren wrote it this way. God's word generates life, creates faith, produces chains, frightens the enemy, causes miracles, heals hurts, builds character, transforms circumstances, imparts joy, overcomes adversity, defeats temptation, infuses hope, releases power, cleanses our mind, brings things into being, and guarantees forever. That's good stuff. And so let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. This is what I'm asking my kids this week, and I, I don't know the success rate. It's, I could, I'm not even going to guess the percentage, but we're all sitting and having our family devotional, ideally nightly, close to that. And so I'm just asking them, what is your reading plan? Second thing I'm observing, because I wake up three and a half hours before anybody else in my house, and I don't wake up early. So I'm walking around, I just kind of notice, and I'm sure this is true, and I'm, I, wish that, you know, I wish I could stop and pause and say, you know, students, this is an issue. That's, I mean, this is eating the soul of people. I, I, just, I ask my kids this, I'll ask you this, what is the first thing you pick up in the morning, and would it be possible for it not to be your stinking phone? What if the body of believers said the first, in fact, unless you want to go there, yeah, what if the, the Bible app would be a good thing to pick up? What if the body of Christ felt like if we don't wake up and saturate our soul with the word, we'll begin to think that world is real and miss the real world? And I wish this were a message for students, but it is a message for moms and dads as I sit and watch them for hours beside a pool, ignore their family, ignore their kids, and ignore Jesus. But oh my gosh, this picture could be real. What would happen if the body of believers were centered in Scripture? I don't, this isn't an anti-social network, I'm all over it. I'm just asking you, what if the first thing that saturated your heart would be the Word of God? I think it would completely change your view of what you post on social network and it would completely change your view of the world. It'd be a great thing. Paul writes that Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness and here's why here's what he said so that the body of christ could be equipped for every single good work if the body of christ is not about the good works of god it could be because we're not saturated in the word we are prepared for the good work and the knowledge as a result of the knowledge and the discernment of god in his word 
And so among us, we should be, I mean, it shouldn't be the pastor saying this stuff right now. I mean, among us, as Paul has taught us, we should encourage each other. We should bless each other. We should admonish each other. These are all the things the scripture says for a body of believers who are praying together with God about what they're doing. And so as we're praying about one another, we should rebuke one another. We should challenge one another. We should call one another to maturity. We should outdo one another. We should show honor to one another. We should teach one another. We should train one another. And this is just the beauty of it. The growth of the early church is fully attributed to the, va- to the fact that the word of God speaks and his, world preve- his word prevailed among them. And so may we be a people who are just filled with knowledge and discernment. Without the word of God, let me just say this, and I think this is on the screen, Todd. Without the word of God, we don't have a faith community. The word precedes the church, informs the life of the church, and sustains the growth of the church. Hallelujah. It's not on my shoulders. In fact, the reformers would have called the early church the creatures of the word. They were so saturated in scripture and so knowledgeable and discerning that as they formed up the church and they were informed by the word and then they grew in the word, that they grew as a people after God's heart. They were creatures of the word. Could we describe ourselves that way? God, man or Baptist, they're, they're creatures of the word of God. It saturates them. I'll end with this illustration. It's a, it's a fun one. I've, I've shared it here before. So um, he says, and I memorize it in the wrong way, so I'll glance over here in a moment. But he said that we should be pure and blameless. That word means sincere. In the Greek, it, it, it's, it's something that I think that uh, we don't pay a lot of attention to. See, Paul is looking at us and saying, as the word saturates you, you should be free of hypocrisy. You should be sincere. It should just be who you are. Um, Sincerity and and blamelessness, the scripture uh, in this, I'm reading from the CSB, you should be able to approve the things that are superior, being pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Sincere. Purity is a a word that we love, undefiled, unblemished, uncontaminated. I was reading John Ortberg many years ago. It's one of, another favorite book of mine. Um, I, I'm terrible at book titles. So I'm not even going to pull it up. Life You've Always Wanted. That is an awesome moment right now. The life you've always wanted. And he's talking in this it's just about this word and these Greek words and what it means to be pure and blameless and talking about purity of heart. And he said, I'm, I fear that we're more like the FDA in America than we are about scriptural per- perspective on holiness. And he had the best illustration. It's going to gross you out, but it's true. And you are welcome. You know, I said, hey, don't do your phones first thing in the morning. You are welcome to verify this information right now because I have. For instance, the FDA talks about purity in the realm of what I love coffee. Anybody else a coffee person? I was not until I was 40 and then it became a staple. I'm now 50 and it's like, yes. I don't reach for my phone first thing in the morning. I'm over brewing coffee going, I can't open my eyes yet. So um, for you to buy the coffee that you purchase off of any grocery store in America right now, if 10% or more are insect affected, infected, or if there is a live insect, hold it, in two consecutive containers, it's not approved. Enjoy that brew in the morning. I just, I just went with some apple butter. I think it's... If the mole count is 12% or higher, 
or if average is more than four rodent hairs per 100 grams. I'm just reading straight off. Not making it, or five or more insects whole per 100 grams, it's gone. Otherwise, eat it up. I love fig newtons. I don't know if anybody else says, I love fig newtons. Figs. So apparently you don't. More than 13 insect heads per 100 grams. It's out of here! Hot dogs. We're not touching that one. No, we're not. Purity is a word that is prized in the New Testament. But it's complete. I think I may have even lost you. It's lost in our day. And Paul starts to just pray for this church. And he says, you know, I want you to be creatures of the word. I want, I want the songs of your life. I'm not looking for two consecutive cans of garbage and then it's got some good stuff. And I'm looking for people who are really pure and blameless. Who, who, I mean, I'm looking for some Davids who know. Listen, who know that they have some of this mess that makes up them and who come to him with humble and broken hearts and say, God, would you inspect me? Would you purify me today? And would you give me a heart for you? And God, and I, my love for you, would you give me a love? And I'm just going to bounce back to my first sermon for every person who's in the body of Christ, for all. I'm not going to pick the ones I do and don't like, and I'm not going to hold grudges against a few. God, give me a love for all, because first of all, I have a love for you, and apparently you created all. God, I, I want to be pure before you. And I want to be blameless before you. And I, I think in this manner that, that the greatest part of this message would be that you laughed about honey butter and coffee, hot dogs and fig newtons. But then that you turned to the living God and said, I refuse to settle for less than purity before you. And I want to be blameless before you, Father. I want your kingdom to come and your will done on this earth and may nothing in my life impede that. And that will cry for confession and repentance for many of us in this room. It will call out for reconciliation of relationships for many of us in this room. Because how can you be pure and broken at the same time? It's kind of waiting. And so I, I just end with this. God is creatures of the word. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the all-surpassing power. It's not from ourselves. It's from God. And it shouts to the world that Jesus is enough. It's creatures of the word with filling the earth with the righteousness of Jesus. Because the word of Christ fills us, the work of Christ moves us, and we are well aware and will reprove of and what God deems as superior. That's us. We're saturated in the word. We are whole before God. We're whole before one another. We're pure and blameless. There's no hypocrisy in this room. We're just free. And Jesus is sufficient for all. If that's going to happen and the righteousness is going to flow like living waters, just look at this church. And this is my closing thought. Don't, don't not manner, look at Philippi right now, just at this moment of this writing. God, we've, I just wrote down some observations I have of Philippi dating back to the 16th chapter of Acts and the beginning of the church 
up to about A.D. 60 when Paul wrote this letter. And, it, and, and they could say, God, we're filling the earth with your glory. This group would have lived out this prayer. They, they would have been reading this prayer going, all glory and honor and power and praise and dominion to Jesus. Because they would have said, we've gone outside the gates. Our church was started outside the gates. And we met people there. And it's going, Lord. Praise you. They would have said, we fill the earth by speaking freedom to those who are held in captivity. And in fact, we went into captivity to speak to them. This is what this church would have said. We submitted our own desires for the desire of the kingdom. And so we welcomed captivity for it spoke and began our church. This is Philippi, the church at Philippi. We fill the earth by willingly laying down our freedom so that others could willingly go free. That seems like Jesus. We fill the earth with songs of wonder and abounding joy in the most detrimental circumstances because we believe that Jesus is enough. And so when in chains, sing. We have filled the earth if we have spoke freedom to children who were in captivity and in bondage. The church was birthed by freeing a child. This is the makeup of the church at Philippi. There's nothing here that I'm adding to this. We are going to speak life to a child who is held in captivity and that will be one of the first members of our church. Every day, streams of living water pour uncommon joy into this earth. And we pray, we pray that we will do this until the day of Christ. Amen. Amen, Lord. I pray that you would fill us as a church with knowledge and depth of insight. God, I pray that for this church, that you would do that so that we could approve superior things. God, I pray as you begin to pour your knowledge in that we will begin to recognize the bondage in our life. And God, we will have confession before you. And we will begin to be a people free of hypocrisy, pure and blameless before you and before one another. God, I pray that until the day of Christ, you would allow us to flesh out in this earth the kingdom the glory, and the honor of Jesus. Lord, I pray for this church. God, I pray for Mandarin Baptists as we look into the gospel heartbeat of the church at Philippi, that that same gospel heartbeat will be our own. And oh Lord, I pray as Paul prayed that out of this prayer we would, we would watch you create a faith that is worthy of replication. We love you, Lord.